If you have your Bible, then please turn in it to Romans chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, then you can get one of the black Bibles that's on the end of each pew, and in that Bible it should be on page 945, where we'll be uh, looking into God's Word today um, as we continue through the book of Romans, and uh, we'll, we're going to be in verses 24 through 29 today, but let me just start reading back at verse 22. And before I forget to say it, if you don't have a Bible, then just take that Bible home. That is our gift to you. Uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word that you can pick up uh, and not have to be looking at your phone while you're reading it because all those distractions pop up on your phone. It's good to have a paper Bible. So if you don't have that, then take it home with you, all right? Okay. Romans 9, and I'm going to start at verse 22, just to remind us that Paul is connecting what we're in today to the doctrine of election. He says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with, patient, with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles." As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And as Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay, And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So, forgive me if occasionally I have to use the Kleenex. I was sick this week. I am no longer sick, but you know how it is, okay? I told some people earlier that as I was getting ready for this sermon, that I was doing my, my regular sermon preparation, reading my commentaries, that kind of stuff, and I just kept on having to open my eyes back up because they had closed unexpectedly. And so we're going to find out today whether or not God still speaks through dreams. <laughs> That's a different sermon, all right? But, all right, so here we are in Romans chapter 9. We've spent three weeks going through the previous three paragraphs that were all about the doctrine of election, but just to remind you, if you kind of forgot, that as Paul is talking about the doctrine of election, the the occasion that made him bring up that doctrine here is the big question of why is it that so many of the Jewish people had not embraced the Jewish Messiah? Why is it that so many of those who were looking for the coming son of David who would be the savior of the Jews... Why is it that when he came, they didn't recognize him? And that so few of Israel have received the one who is the true Israel, the one who has come as the fulfillment of all of the promises, of all of the covenants with Israel. Why is that? And really, the reason that he brings up the doctrine of election was to explain that, to say it's because God has chosen some and has not chosen others. Now, we may find out when we get to chapter 11, there is a possibility opened up that in the future, God may show that he has chosen 
a great number who he will bring, who he will call to himself. There's, there is certainly the, the possibility opened up of that right, right there. But when he comes to this passage, what he's going to tell us is essentially, well, you need to know that the lists on earth are not the same as the lists in heaven. I remember one time, um, I, I, I want to say it was my senior year in college, and I had been involved uh, th- throughout my four years in college in the Baptist Student Union on campus, uh, and they changed their name, I think, Baptist Collegiate Ministry. They might have changed it again since then, but, but I was involved in the Baptist Student Group, group on campus. And, uh, and at the beginning of the school year, there was this organizational fair where, uh, you know, all of the student organizations can set up a little table and um, the students can walk around, especially freshmen as they're coming in and see what, what are the different organizations that we could join. And uh, at, at that one, we had a booth for the Baptist group, but we, uh, I, I was walking around and I saw that there was a new group on campus that I had never seen before, which was a Jewish student group. And they had not only had the group, but there had been a beautiful building built on campus for that purpose. And I was just interested, what's going on here? And I, I went over and I, I talked to them, and I, I was curious about what it was that they were doing. And I had kind of a nice conversation with a couple of the people who were standing around. And, and so then I decided, I, I want to hear what they're doing. And so I put my email address on their list. Well, then uh, a few days later... I find out that there is like all of these incredible um, rumors going around. A Baptist joined Hillel. What is going on? And I was, I was helping out as a student leader in that Baptist group, and so I, I ended up getting called into this meeting <laughs> to say, did you join Hillel? And, and I just had to say, I don't think so. <laughs> I put my email address down because I'm curious what they're doing, <laughs> but I didn't join Hillel. See, I didn't realize there's a difference in the way that I was perceiving that list and the way that others were perceiving that list. The way I was perceiving it was, oh, I kind of want to get the emails and see what it is that they do. But the way that they were perceiving it was, if you put your email address here, you are joining. And I thought, well, that's, that's strange. <laughs> But just to say, not everybody looks at lists of names in the same way. That's what we have in this passage. What we have in this passage is the fact that the way that man looks at the role, looks at the list of names in the group, is not the same as the way that God looks at it. In particular, especially as we look at this passage, we're going to see that the way that God has arranged the nation of Israel in, in the way that he has gone about salvation history, he does not look at the list of names of earthly ethnic Israel as the same as the list of names in heavenly spiritual Israel. There is a role on earth, but then there is the role in heaven, and they're different. This goes back to verse 6, and this is kind of the theme verse of chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans, where it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. 
That's the theme verse, and he's establishing this teaching that's going to run through these three chapters especially, not contained in the Bible only to these three chapters, but especially highlighted in these three chapters, that there is a difference between earthly Israel and heavenly Israel, between ethnic Israel and spiritual Israel. And the Israel of God, that's the term that Paul uses in Galatians, the Israel of God is made up of all of those from every tribe and tongue and nation who have been joined in to Christ, who have been joined into the true vine, who have been grafted into the olive tree of the people of God by faith in Jesus, by faith in Jesus. But as we as we come here, we're going to see some beautiful and glorious truths about why it is that God can do it this way. Why it is that God can do it this way. And, and first of all, if you're following along on the outline on the back of your bulletin, let's think about God's gracious calling of both Jews and Gentiles. It says in, in verse, uh, verse 24, excuse me, that these vessels of mercy which he prepared hand for, beforehand for glory are even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Just kind of a side note here. Those who deny the doctrine of election, which is what we've talked about for the last three weeks, and if you weren't around, that's the doctrine that God chooses who to save. And it can be stunning if you've never heard that the Bible actually teaches that. But those who deny that doctrine, when they come to Romans 9, if they come to Romans 9, because usually they avoid Romans 9, but if they come to Romans 9, usually the explanation from pastors or scholars who deny the doctrine of election is that Romans 9 is not about God choosing individuals to be saved, that Romans 9 is about God's choosing of nations to be blessed. But I just don't see how you could put that together with verse 24. Because verse 24 here says that this calling, that this choosing, is from the Jews and also from the Gentiles. He's not talking about God choosing and calling nations. He's talking about God choosing and calling individuals from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. And the word Gentiles means nations. This is something that you can see even in Revelation 5.9 where it is this praise to Jesus in heaven, this song of praise to Jesus in heaven says, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In heaven they are rejoicing that Jesus died specifically to save individual people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Isn't that amazing? And so this is not about God's choice of nations. This is about God's choice of individuals. It's about the fact that God can look at any nation and God can have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And he can harden whom he will harden. But think about the incredible thing that God calls people not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So much of of the way that you might come away from the Old Testament if you didn't have the New Testament is you might think to yourself, boy, I just wish I were part of that people. 
I just I wish I were part of that that Israel. I wish I were part of that that Jewish people that God had had raised up from the seed of Abraham and and called out of Egypt and established a kingdom for himself. And man, wouldn't it be amazing to be part of that chosen people? And in fact, that was a way that a lot of both Jews and Gentiles looked at it when they looked at those things. There there were those who were among the Jews who thought to themselves in Jesus' day, and this is very apparent from the Pharisees and and from others as well, well, we are the chosen people, and, and we need nothing to do with Gentiles. We are the ones that God has chosen. In fact, even as, as some of them began to embrace the idea that Jesus was Messiah, they still brought that idea in. And they thought, well, okay, you, you can embrace Jesus as Messiah, but you need to become Jewish. You need to go through circumcision. You need to keep the Jewish food laws. You need to be converted to Judaism in order to receive the Jewish Messiah. That was the impression that they had coming away from the Old Testament, but it was the wrong impression. And in fact, that was the impression of some of the Gentiles at that time too, because there were God-fearing Gentiles is what they're called. You see them in the book of Acts especially, as they were kind of hanging around the synagogues or hanging around the outside of the temple and just sort of wishing that they were inside, but they weren't. But when the word comes to them about Christ, when the word comes to them about this Jesus who died not only for this people, but also to gather to himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation from across the world. They rejoice, and they say salvation has come to the Gentiles also. And they are so, so overjoyed. You need to know that this is a great thing. And it's a thing that, as we're going to see here in the next verse after this, that it's not just news in the New Testament that it was shown and predicted throughout the Old Testament as well, that through this Messiah that God was going to make the nations glad, that through God's work, through the chosen seed of Abraham, through your seed shall all nations be blessed, God told to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. It's been there all along, but you need to know this, that God is graciously calling People not just of this group or this ethnicity or Jews or Gentiles. God is graciously calling sinners to himself. And when it says us who have been called, he's saying if you have been born again, then you can have assurance that you are a vessel of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. When it says you who have been called, that's talking about something that in theological terms we call effectual calling. You know what that looks like? It looks like coming to faith in Jesus. Recognizing the fact that you are a sinner, condemned, unclean before God, but that Jesus has been been sacrificed as our Passover lamb, that Jesus has died to pay the price for our sins and has risen again in his Lord. It looks like repentance and faith toward Jesus. When, When God has granted that, it's because he has made someone to be born again. He has effectually called them to himself. Some people call it irresistible grace, Jesus called it being born again. Paul got knocked off his horse when, it called, when he got called. 
But guys, here's what it looks like. It, he, says, he says, if you've been called, if you have come to a place where you no longer love sin, but you love the Savior who died to save you from that sin, then you can say, praise God, no matter what my background, from the Jews, from the Gentiles, from the whatever, even the Italians. I thought Jerry was going to laugh at me. God will save a people for himself because he has prepared them beforehand for glory. All right? Now, just, just um, think about these, these, these verses here, all right? What does it look like to be called? It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, <clears throat> Let light shine out of darkness. And he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to be called. To have God shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When God began to call Gentiles to himself en masse, starting in Acts chapter 11, Peter came back and he reported this to the church in Jerusalem, what was going on, and it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about this fact that when somebody has repentance of their sin and faith in Jesus and eternal life in Jesus, it's because God has granted it. It's us whom he has called. Or another way to think about it is if you have that repentant faith in Jesus, if you believe in that sense that John is always talking about when he says believe, which means entrusting yourself into the hands of Christ for your eternal life, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's what it says in 1 John 5, 1. What does that mean? Well, it means if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it's not the cause of your being born again. It's the effect of your being born again. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have been born of God. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Even us whom he has called. Now, we have great news here too, which is just kind of the obvious thing, that it's not just those who had been called at the point in time when Paul wrote the book of Romans by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God's called, chosen people, God's vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory, were not limited just to those who had already been called. But he has kept on calling people to himself by the Holy Spirit for a couple thousand years since then including us who believe today. And, and so we need to not say to ourselves, well, because my neighbor or my son or my coworker doesn't yet believe the gospel, well, I guess they are reprobate. We need to say, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to eternal life. And say, wow, praise God that he would save sinners. God has done this 
as a triune God, just think about this. Who is it that prepared us beforehand? I'm going back into verse 23 again. Who, who is it that prepared us beforehand for glory? God the Father did that. He set up this whole plan from the very beginning, from before the foundation of the world. Who is it that actually worked our forgiveness and our redemption? It's Jesus, God the Son who came and he lived for us and he died for us and he rose from the dead and he is interceding from heaven for us. His prayers are not going to fall short of their their intended purpose either. And who is it that actually calls us to himself, actually makes us born again? It's God the Holy Spirit. You see this? This This is a work of God that he would prepare us that he would redeem us, that he would call us to himself, and he is working this not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Also from the Gentiles. Let's look at verse 25 and 26 and, and consider this, this idea that God loves adding outsiders into his family. God loves to do that. Verse 25, Paul quotes Hosea and says, Those who were not my people... I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Now, I want you to notice something that you probably didn't notice yet. Paul, in Romans 9, is moving all the way through the Old Testament. Back in verse 7, when he started talking about this idea of there being a difference between earthly Israel and spiritual Israel, he, he, he started saying, well, it's... Remember that not all the children of, are, of Abraham are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This is where he started talking about the doctrine of election. He's saying it wasn't all of Abraham's physical offspring that he chose, but those who came through the line of Isaac. And it wasn't all of Isaac's offspring that he chose, but those who came through the line of Jacob. And so he goes back to the time of the patriarchs. And then as he goes on and he's talking more about this, this idea that God can choose whom he will save, he starts talking about what happened at the time of the Exodus. So he moves from the age of the patriarchs to the age of the Exodus and, and what was going on when God brought the people out of Egypt and how God chose not to have mercy on Pharaoh. But now he's moving into the time of the kings and the prophets, And he's kind of showing all across your Bible, all across your Old Testament, from the time of the patriarchs all the way to the time of the prophets, you can see that this has been God's intent and design all along, is not to save all of those who are part of ethnic Israel, but to have a people for himself whom he has chosen by his grace. And as is, he, he would choose by his grace to choose not even only from within that people, but also the nations. I mentioned just a second ago that idea of God bringing in nations or Gentiles, people from outside of Israel into his people. It's been present since he first started talking to Abraham. He said, through your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. You see it even when the people start to leave out of Egypt for, uh, for, for the promised land, you may or may not have ever caught on that when they left, it wasn't just the Hebrew people that left. It says that there were others who jumped on board and came with them, and they were joined in. Some of these very Egyptians 
would have jumped on and been part of that. You, you, you see it throughout all of these, these predictions. When you get to a place like Zechariah, where Zechariah predicts that there are going to be those from among the Gentiles who are even going to be counted as, as part of the priestly class. Just an amazing thing to think about. And now in Christ, he calls us what? Not just those who are part of ethnic or part of spiritual Israel, not just part of the Israel of God, but a kingdom of priests. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. But he says, look here in Hosea, where Hosea says, those who were not my people, I will call my people. Her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Now this is going back and quoting Hosea 2.23. In the immediate context of what's going on in Hosea, Hosea has children, uh, and he is commanded by God to name these children strange names, like no mercy and not my people. God has him do that in order that God can show in an illustration with his children, I can bring in and show mercy to those that had not been shown mercy. I can bring in and make part of my people those who were not my people. Both from among those within Israel who had been exiled, that was the context there, but but as Paul properly applies this, this also shows us that God has mercy to bring in those who are outside of the nation, that God loves to bring in and to love those outsiders. Even with the people of Israel themselves, They may not have thought too much about this, but God had reminded them, you were not my people, but I brought you in. He said back in Joshua 24, uh, Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and I made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. You see, even the people of Israel, what's their background? Is it, is it godliness and righteousness all the way back? <laughs> he took Abraham out of a pagan people, out of worshiping false gods, and by his grace he chose him, and he raised him up, and he brought about that nation that he would bless that he would use, that he would grant the covenants. He talked about all of these, these beautiful blessings that he granted to that people, the patriarchs, uh, the, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. That's back in verses 4 and 5. He, he did all these things through this people, but it's still a people who were not his people, who he then brought in and made his people. And he says, look, God's choosing to do the same thing outside of that, to bring in people and make them his people from the nations, from the Gentiles. Now, the great thing is that when it says here, beloved, her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Do you know what the image is there that it's getting at? It's marriage. It's getting here at this idea of an unloved woman being brought in and adorned in her wedding dress, and loved, and made a beautiful bride, and exalted, and cared for, forever. 
That, that's what the image is. And, and it says in Ephesians 5 that that image, the whole reason that God invented marriage in the first place is because it's a picture of how God loves his people. He says that this mystery, that's marriage, is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Let me just say this very, very plainly. God has it in his character to show love toward those who were not lovable. God has it in his character to love sinners and to bring sinners in and to wash them clean and to save them and to add them to his people who he calls his bride. Her who was not my people, her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Guys, Jesus loves and saves sinners. Let me just say this very plainly. If you think to yourself that in yourself that there is something that you can present to God that he would find lovely and that therefore he ought to bring you in on the basis of what he finds lovely in you, then you don't understand the gospel. God doesn't save people who don't need saving. God doesn't bring in and love those who are deserving. None of us are deserving, but we have to come to that realization, my sin was an offense against God. I wasn't just sort of like this person on the outside. I, when it says, not my people, guys, you've got to realize that this is, this is not just saying, I wasn't, quite, I wasn't quite a God person before. No, this, this is like God's enemies. This is like those who would want to come up and punch God in the face. He talks in Romans 1 about the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That there is unrighteousness, this breaking of God's law in all of these ways that we could go about our lives, and this ungodliness, where even those who, who seem to have a clean life on the outside, that there is this rebellion against God and a refusal to recognize and to worship him as he needs to be recognized and worshiped. Have you ever been in a room full of people where you just thought to yourself, these are not my people. Now, I'm not, I'm not even just talking about being in a room where it's hard for you to make small talk. All right? Now, some, for some of you, it's harder. For some of you, it's easier to make small talk. But we also know those situations where you just say, I got to get out of here. It's not just about these people have different accents than me or these people like different sports teams than me. This would be that feeling that you could have as you're standing in a room and as you're saying to yourself, boy, these people are, 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 are saying things that are appalling. These people are laughing about things that are disgusting. Maybe even these people are doing things that if the police came in right now, I might get arrested just for being around them. These are not my people. That's more the sense of what we have here when it says, they were not my people. It's not just, yeah, they weren't quite fitting. It's, they were not my people. But God has said, those who were not my people, I will call my people. Those who were not beloved, 
I will call beloved. He uses the image of marriage, and then he moves in verse 26 to the image of adoption, as he's still quoting Hosea. He says, in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. What an incredible thing to be not his people, but then to be adopted, to be his children. Not just his servants, not just his employees, not just his acquaintances, but to be sons of the living God. That's the love and the salvation and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. God loves and saves sinners. Think of this, Gentiles. We are a predominantly Gentile church here. Occasionally, God brings people to us who have a Jewish background, but we are predominantly Gentile, and you need to remember what it says to us, to us Gentile believers in Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 14. Remember that you were at that time, that's before you believed in Christ, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Boy, praise God for that. Uh, two, two things to do here. One, think of yourself. Don't take it for granted that you would be called one of God's people. All right? If you... I'm sorry, I know it's disgusting. If you have been called to Christ, if you've come to Christ in faith, then take a step back and just wonder at that. Just realize the the humility that that shows us. We were not his people. We, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But he's made us alive together in Christ. That's an opportunity to give thanks in all circumstances. To say, wow. I who was not part of his people. I who was against him. He's now called me a son of the living God. Praise God. But think of others too, right? Don't, don't count people out of the kingdom just because they seem like such unlikely people to be in the kingdom. Okay? Don't count people out just because they seem like outsiders. Do you, you ever look around at people in the world and you just wonder how there could possibly be any hope? Maybe you've committed the sin of, of writing people off as somebody who would just, of course, they're never going to be a Christian. They're never going to come to Christ. That's the only kind of people that God saves. That's the only kind of people that God saves, those who were totally depraved with no will to come to Christ. But by his grace, through the power of the gospel, that God can call a people to himself, those who were not his people. And we need to keep that in mind as we look around ourselves, as we would have a heart for evangelism. Guys, this is one of the ways that... that the doctrine of election does not kill evangelism. It drives evangelism if you understand it properly. Because what it says 
is that we can go with the gospel trying to present the truth as clearly as we can, in love as lovingly as we can, seeking to win people to Christ, but knowing that absolutely nobody will believe the gospel unless God has first chosen them and will supernaturally call them. But if he has, they're going to come. If we had a merely earthly way of sharing the gospel, merely worldly kind of way of going about evangelism, then you might think to yourself, well, okay, uh, this is a sales pitch, and I need, to, I need to go about this as a sales pitch. And so I, 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 need to, I need to do my best to be able to talk somebody into it, and I need to find the most likely customers who are going to bite, and, and that's how I'm going to do it. Now, I will say, if somebody's going and sharing Christ with that mindset, I am not going to stop them from going and sharing Christ. Praise God that the gospel is going out. But when, when we go and share Christ, I hope we'll go with the mindset, I am carrying with me the power of God into salvation. That's what God calls the gospel in Romans chapter 1. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And if he's going to save somebody, then he's going to do it. And I can be confident as I go and as I share the gospel. You know, in this, we also need to have a heart... Not just for evangelism in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, but also for missions. When I say missions, I mean going and, and seeking to reach people around the world. We, we need to think to ourselves hard about how can I improve the prayers that I am praying for the missionaries that we as a church have helped to send out. That they're... they're they rotate on our prayer list every week. I, I, I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, I want to pray for those who are going and reaching not just my community, but peoples around the world who are not God's people, but he has said, I will call them my people, and I will bring them in from all nations. Can, can we support them in our prayers? Can we support them with our finances? I wonder, members of this church, do you designate financial gifts to our missions fund? It's a way that you can be a co-worker in the sending of the gospel to the nations, where you take the fruit of your own labor and you put it in that envelope and it goes across the world into the labor of reaching the nations who are currently not his people with the gospel so that they can be brought in. And I wonder, would God maybe call you to personally go, not just to pray, not just to give, but to go to the nations? You know that the Jabello family has been praying for a while that God would send another couple to be on the ground with them in their pioneer missionary endeavors in the village of Mocha in Papua New Guinea. Maybe you're the couple. Or maybe God would just have you to go for a week or two and support some missionaries at different places in the world, to get on the ground and to be about the business of sharing the gospel and promoting the kingdom of Christ around the world. We see that in places like this. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. You're going to make very explicit in chapter 10 that this involves our going to the nations and telling. And I wonder if you've considered that God may call you to do that. Maybe you're a student. 
And you're thinking to yourself, what would God have ahead for me in my life? Maybe what God has ahead for you in your life is to tell your father and your mother, I love you, and I love Christ even more, and I'm going to go to the other side of the world and, and spend my life and bring my family to a people who would never have heard the gospel except that I go and I trust in the promise that God has said in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's something that God would call you to devote your life to. Now, it takes the right circumstances. It takes the right training. It takes the right gifts. It takes the recognition of the church to say, yes, this is someone that God has set apart for this purpose, but maybe you just need it put in your brain right now. Maybe that's me. Maybe I need to pray about that. Then we see not only God's grace in calling in both Jews and Gentiles, but God's justice in saving only some of Israel. Look at verses 27 through 29. It says, Isaiah cries out. He moves from Hosea to Isaiah and quotes a couple of different verses from Isaiah, some from Isaiah 10 and some from Isaiah 1. He says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out in his, his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left this offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. You know what this is saying? It's saying that it has said all along in the Old Testament scriptures that God had the intention and the plan not to bring to heaven all of ethnic Israel, but only some. This was a pattern that he showed in the events of Israel throughout its history. He showed it in the Exodus. Remember when all those people came out of Egypt and went through the Red Sea? You remember what they did right after that? They grumbled, they complained, they set up a golden calf, they tried to overthrow Moses, all that kind of stuff. And the Bible tells us most of them were not allowed to enter the promised land because of unbelief. But you know what? Even as God raised up another generation, there was still a remnant of that original generation that got to go in. You see what was going on there? The church role on earth was not the same as the church role in heaven. There was a true spiritual Israel among national Israel, and it's still the same. You see it in places like, like Jeremiah or even Isaiah, where there are these, these coming exiles, the exile into Assyria, the exile into Babylon. And so many people were saying to themselves in places like Jerusalem, we're going to be okay. Ezekiel says that they think to themselves, well, you know, Jerusalem is God's kettle and we're the meat. He cares for us. He's going to take care of us. And he says to them, don't be so sure. 
He says a third of the people are going to be lost to pestilence, a third to the sword, to these different things, but there's a remnant that's going to be saved. And Isaiah pulls this out over and over, this idea there will be a remnant of them that will be saved. So we need to know that God's judgment, God's justice is displayed in this. God is not under obligation to save someone from their sins just because in this world they were signed up with other people who were saved from their sins. God is not under obligation to save all of Israel just because they're part of Israel. And i got to say this, God is not under obligation to save everyone whose name at some point ends up on the roll of membership at First Baptist Church of Matawan. Now, we try our best to practice what's called regenerate church membership, to take membership seriously, to to only have members that, as far as we can tell from their words and actions, are actual born-again believers in Jesus Christ, but you just need to be aware of this. God has names written in heaven that are not the same as the names written on earth. That's why God says in Exodus 32, 33, that he will blot them out of my book That doesn't mean they lose their salvation. It means the list here is not the same as the list there. That's what it means. And we need to know that God will bring judgment for sin, and God will bring judgment, as he has said, swiftly and completely decisively. But there's also not just justice here, there's also hope. Think of this hope, where it says, if the Lord of hosts, this is verse 29, if he had not left this offspring, we would have become like Sodom, and become like Gomorrah. That tells us this. Listen to this. God could, in his sovereign wisdom, he could have made the decision, even though I used this people for this purpose, I will not save any of Israel from their sins. He could have said that about Israel, and he could have said that about you and me. And he could have said that about all of mankind. Think about how he has treated the angels who sinned. I mentioned this once, I don't know, a few weeks ago. But just remember this. There's those third of heaven's angels who rebelled against God, led by their leader whose name is Satan. We now know them as demons, but they're fallen angels. They are sinful angels, and there is no plan of salvation for angels. God is not under obligation to save sinners. And if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Those cities were completely wiped out with fire from heaven for their sins. What this tells us is this. The doctrine of election, God's choosing a people to save for himself from every tribe and tongue and nation, is not a doctrine of cruelty, It's not a doctrine of harshness. It's a doctrine of grace. It's a doctrine of love. God could have left us with no offspring. God could have left no one to be saved. But God in his grace gave hope. God in his grace has chosen vessels of mercy prepared beforehand for glory, whom he called not from the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. And we say, praise God for that. Praise God for that beautiful, beautiful hope. 
I want you to know, too, that judgment on Sodom, that judgment on Gomorrah, what do you think Jesus was looking at? What do you think he was thinking of when he was hanging on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took my Sodom and Gomorrah fire from heaven judgment. That's what I deserved. But he took it in my place on the cross. That's how he has an offspring for himself. The full justice of God on the cross. And because of that, we can say, praise God. He saves a people for himself, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus, the one who took the judgment. Know that you were not his people, but come in. Come in. Trust in Jesus. And if you have been called, then know that you are a vessel of mercy prepared beforehand for glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the grace of Jesus. We thank you that he took our punishment for our sins in full. I thank you for the way that you've worked throughout the history of Israel. I thank you for saving a remnant for yourself. And we do pray. I pray right now that you would call more and more people to yourself from among ethnic Israel, from our Jewish friends and neighbors. And I pray that you'd call more and more people to yourself from the nations as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand and to love these things and to affirm that you are the God of grace. Thank you for bringing us in. We were outsiders and we're now called sons of the living God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.